Amen. Thanks, Matt. Happy Easter, everyone. It's great to see a few students who are stuck on campus, apparently. Um, <laughs> be blessed tonight, guys. Um, anyone here for the first time? Just, I wasn't expecting any, but okay. Here is one. Welcome. Thanks for putting your hand up. Yeah, welcome. Welcome. Yeah, we normally do that, yeah. yeah. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. <laughs> Um, all right. So the, the, um, the, the, the title of tonight's sermon might be quite, might seem a little strange. Um, Matt mentioned it already. I, I've just felt the Lord saying, this, this phrase has been going on and on in my head, live like it's true. Live like it's true. And of course, everything I say tonight, I believe is true. But I just hear the Lord saying, live like it's true, which I guess is just another way of saying, will we have faith? Will we believe? You know, and it's, doing Easter messages and Christmas messages are, are quite challenging because, well, you guys don't really do Christmas church, do you? Well, the rest of the world, when you like to do Christmas church, um, because it's the same scripture every year. You know, you're not doing a different theme, you're not doing what the Lord might be leading you into as a church, you're doing what the global church is doing. And so there's a part of this that's beautiful that we, are, that we are reading scriptures that are read throughout the world by all people, low church, high church, rich, poor, black, white, whatever. They read these words. Um, but, I'm, but I've also obviously been asking the Lord, what is he saying, saying to us? Um, he has a body. And um, you know, some of you, some of you were here a few weeks ago when, when I, I, I gave a little snippet of of my experience going on to Asbury um, a couple of months back. And I know I know a few people people went on and, and had great experiences. Um, and I I'm not going to go into that again um, yet. But suffice to say that when I went there and I walked into the chapel where the Lord was being worshipped. I experienced a truth of God. And that truth was his absolute and profound forgiveness of my sins, which left no shadow of a doubt in my heart that I was forgiven. It wasn't something I had to think. It was just something I knew. And obviously before I went into that building, I knew I was forgiven. I knew in my head I was forgiven. I knew that was true. But I was different when I came out. I was, I was able to live it like it was true because I'd actually experienced it. And, and, and just asking the Lord tonight, you know, all of us, are, we, we're always on, our, on a journey. I mean, different places where the Lord has us in his timing. But I, but I believe I'm going to say some things tonight which might, which might just put a pause, you know, you might think, oh, I'm not sure that's true of me. And I just sense the, the Lord is here, just standing at the front, you know, I just had this picture of him while we were worshipping, and, and he had a little box filled with, with these little gifts, and every time that one of us thought something that wasn't true to his word, and true to his nature, and true to his promise, if we would say, Lord, I don't want this anymore, I just saw him coming up and taking it from us, and giving us truth, giving us something from this little box, which I believe was faith to know 
and to experience. And so it might just be one thing. Now, some of us, you know, that, none of this, you know, might be new. We might be doing really amazingly with the Lord, but I, I believe what the Lord wants to do tonight with this idea of living like it's true, living with faith, is, is he is saying, the Father, is, I just sense him wanting us to believe. Okay, and I know we all believe in him. <laughs> but to increasingly believe what his word says. And that's going to look different for each one of us. But I believe there's a promise of joy in this. The joy of knowing we are one with the Lord. The joy of knowing we are forgiven. So that's my, that's my preamble. Like, I, like Matt said, I'm going to try to preach in 20 minutes. Let's see what I can do. Okay. So I'm going to read from John 20. Matt has read the account from Mark. Um, I just as for the Lord saying, read, read this one as well from John 20. It's perhaps the most personal of the accounts. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb so they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first and stooping down and looking in saw the linen cloth lying there yet did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloth lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head not lying with the linen cloth, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, Teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. 
like I said, this, this account is, I think, the most personal. I, I love the details of the linen that's folded. Um, but most of all, that Mary, of all the people that follow Jesus, she's the one that lingers. And she's the one who appears to be crying out to know where Jesus is. At this great injustice that has been done, that someone has moved the body of Jesus. And she is the first that Jesus speaks to. And obviously in between saying, Mary, (laughs) she runs to him and clings to him. This is her reaction. To grab hold of her savior. But the words the Spirit really emphasize for me tonight, and the words I love in this chapter, when Jesus says, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. And of course, Jesus has said, um, he's talked about the Father, he's called God our Father in many times in the New Testament and God's called Father in the Old Testament, but this is the first time where Jesus uses the word Father and he has actually made it possible for us to have him as our Father, that he is resurrected and the way is made for us to enter The writer of Hebrews tells us that we can have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And we know this, we know that his flesh, we know his suffering, that his death made the way for us. This was the lamb that was slain We've got three little lambs on our farm at the moment. One's about three days old, two or two days old, and, and there's nothing more vulnerable than a lamb. In fact, this afternoon, I was telling Luke, we were doing a very biblical thing. We were looking for the lost lamb, literally, that was missing. <laughs> but John tells us in First John, that he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And he says in John 1, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now this is the incredible joy that Jesus won for us. And again, we know this. That we have been made children of God. Um, and some of you, there were a couple of faces um, that were here for our Good Friday service. Um, on Friday night, and yeah, it's, it's becoming my, my favorite service of the year. Um, I, I, I'm supposed to say Easter's first, I guess, and Christmas is second, but Good Friday is becoming my favorite. And maybe it's, maybe it's the simplicity of it, maybe it's the time for meditation. Um, but I, I think it's, I think it's the way that I encounter the Holy Spirit so deeply that he seems to respond so quickly to our wanting to meditate and try and understand what Jesus did. I mean, this, this is the great gift, so it makes sense that he will be in it. But every year that we've done it, it's been so powerful. You know, but it, it's, it's not a fun service. You know, it's the only service that we finish with quiet and no one's allowed to talk. You know, you just leave. <laughs> we don't fellowship. 
Grace and I had a conversation that evening when we got home. Um, she was upset. <laughs> you know, as, as, well, as well we all should be. You know, to think about his death. And, and she said to me, why? Why did he do this for me? Why did I deserve it? And um, there's, only, there's only one answer. And you, you didn't deserve it. And I don't deserve it. And none of us deserve it. None of us. None of us have done anything to deserve what he did on the cross. And um, I've, I've said this before, and I, and I don't mean this shallowly, um, but it, it amazes me that and, you know, as a father, you know, I've, I've said I would kill the world to save my son. That's how, that's how much a father loves a son. And the father was willing to watch his son die an agonizing death. And this death was supposed to be defeat, the killing of the son of God, but it turns into a victory. And I don't deserve it. But I have this incredible gift given to me. And it's not just that he died for me. It's not just that I can look forward to eternal life. It's that my sin is gone. And my shame is gone. The heaviness of all of my sin. He took it. And I don't have to carry it. My failures are forgotten. Scripture says that my sins are as far away from me as the east is from the west. His blood washes them clean. He washes me completely clean. Paul says this when he writes to the Colossians. Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Isn't it cool that I could ask Matt how many things he blames me for and how many ways I'm not holy, and he could probably list a fairly short list, but there'd be a few things, okay? And I could do the same for him. And my kids could write a pretty long one, and obviously wives the longest. But isn't it amazing that the one who knows all things, the one who literally knows all things, will say that I am holy and that I am blameless and I am beyond reproach. Um, if, 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 if you're like me and you've lived your life at all with a sense of, of shame, that is the most freeing idea in the world. If you've grown up in a religious community where every time you got something wrong, you just felt this heavy guilt, these words are life. 
If you think you've done too much wrong and you cover it with shame, these words open up the way to Christ. You're holy and you're blameless and you're beyond reproach. His death is our victory. And of course, there's even more promises. And I, you know, we could read all of the New Testament, I guess, because there's so many. But Paul writes again in 2 Corinthians that we are new creations. We are completely made new. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And every time we pledge allegiance to him, every time we have faith in him, every time, like we're going to do tonight, we come up and take communion and we are washed by his blood, we are reminded that we are a new creation. We are made new. When we, when we hear these words and hear these promises, our, our response should be one of worship. And our response should be one of surrender. Now, he is so magnificent and so beautiful and so life-giving. How can, we, how can we want to do anything else but surrender to him? And the father says, well, we live like this is true. And so I asked him, Lord, what is true? And these are the things I heard him say, that we are now one with him, that we have access to him, that his son lives in us, that he is risen and glorious and all-powerful and is around us and watches over us, that all of our sins are washed away, that he is for us, that he will move amongst us and that he will move through us. And if we want scripture to go with this, John 14, Jesus himself says, a little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps him, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. I know some of us have grown up in homes that are difficult, but home should be a place where we are loved. And home should be where we are completely relaxed and we're just ourselves. And we, we interact with those who are closest to us. And Jesus says, I and the Father, we will come and make our home in you. Well, we live like that is true. And I felt Jesus saying, you know, he didn't just, he didn't just die, and I'm going to read from Revelations now very, very soon. You know, he didn't just die so that he would be enthroned in heaven. And he didn't just die so that he would be enthroned in heaven and that he would make a place for us. And those are true and those are glorious. But he died so that he would be with us and he would be in us. And that is so deeply personal. 
And, I, and I, again, I just I sense him saying, will we as a body, will we as individuals, but more importantly, will we as a body start to live our life increasingly like we are expectant of him being who he says he is, being personal, hearing our prayers, moving with us, leading us, that we bring him into every moment of our days, that we have this expectation that our spirits will be connected with his spirit every second of the day. Not just when we remember, not just once a day when we read our Bibles, but 24-7. Because I think that's what he's promised us in Scripture, and I think that's what he's calling us to step into. And if we do that, we will encounter his joy. And remember that Jesus said about joy that his joy, when we get it, No one can take it from us. But this is the king that we worship. This is John's vision in Revelations 5. And Revelations 4 is as glorious. But this is Revelations 5 from verse 11. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea And all that are in them I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. This is our glorious King that we worship, that we believe in, that we follow, and one day we will see him in heaven and it will be so glorious. But he's saying to us tonight that he is both that and he is the man who meets Mary outside the tomb. And he's the one who shows up here when we worship. And he's the one who comforts us when we mourn. And he's the one that wants to walk hand in hand with us. He wants intimacy with us, the one who is enthroned in heaven. So will you pray with me? And Matt, if you have anything, you can pray as well. Jesus, you are risen. And you are supreme. And all glory in heaven and on earth is yours. From the angels in heaven to the creatures in the sea, your name will be glorified. 
Jesus, you sent us your spirit. You said that you would be in the Father, but you would be in us too, and we would be in you. Lord, if we struggle to believe the magnificence of that promise, if, if it's just words to us, will you open our hearts and our spirits? Will you tear away everything that would prevent us from knowing this to be true? to letting it be the very foundation of our existence and all that we do. Lord, tear the veils of our hearts and our spirits and our minds. Let us see you. And Father, this was your plan. that you wanted us reconciled. We're no longer just people made in your image, Lord, walking around in a hostile world. We are children. We are your sons and your daughters. So, Father, I ask that you would move in each one of your children here tonight. Would you increase our awareness of you, Father? Would you pour forth faith? Would you pour out joy as we start to grasp the way to the promises that you have given. Lord Jesus, be praised and glorified for you have set us free. And there are no words that we can ever utter. That can describe what you do for us, Jesus. We say thank you. Thank you for setting us free. We love you, Lord. Amen.